0: What's really exciting for me is when the two things merge and when you start solar powering cryptocurrency and you're, you know, you're powering Bitcoin mines with solar power and then... Th- and. But I say more importantly is what you do with the with the Bitcoin that's being produced, like what you spend it on. Um, so I mean, the the platform that we've built was built it's not specifically, but an, to enable people that use cryptocurrency to convert that theoretical wealth into something that's real, physical, and tangible, like a solar panel, but then gives an income paid out over time. So what well, for me that's what's interesting is that is that is that merging point that that nexus where the two things cross. You know, that, that fusion happens when money and sunshine become the same thing. You know, in fact, if you can now start converting sunlight into money, and that money is in cryptocurrency, you then have a completely decentralized way of earning money just from a solar panel that could be position, positioned anywhere else on Earth.
1: Welcome to The Disruptors, the podcast about the future of all of us, where we look at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Hear the world's top minds, share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies, transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at disruptors.fm. Energy. It's the end-all be-all, beyond money, beyond food, beyond sex. Energy fuels everything when it comes to life. And today we've got somebody who's harnessing the energy of the sun from which all energy comes from the things you eat to burning coal to drive your car, whatever it is, energy is the fuel that makes it happen. Today we've got Abe Cambridge on the program, a serial energy entrepreneur who builds businesses and projects around the world using solar energy to make major socioeconomic shifts without having to play with the all expensive and slow to adapt grid. In 2010, he pioneered utility-scale solar in Britain. In 2012, one of his businesses, the Renewable Energy Cooperative, was named International Cooperative of the Year in the United Nations. And in 2014, he launched the Sun Exchange, a global solar micro-leasing marketplace that lets anyone around the world own and lease out solar panels to anyone else. They've been incredibly helpful in helping third-world countries, rural areas, small schools get solar where the grid just did not exist and would not work. And the Sun Exchange has been named the best Bitcoin and blockchain business in Africa two years in a row. In today's episode, we discuss how to speed the transition to renewables and why it's inevitable. What blockchain and Bitcoin mean for governments and commerce. Why cryptocurrency is the future, but ownership is up for grabs. What Facebook's Libra coin means for the rest of the world. Why Africa has a more sophisticated payment system than even America. What areas are ripe for blockchain and decentralized disruption why climate change is 100% real regardless of global warming, and what distributed solar really means for the world. Let's shine some light, so to speak, pun intended, on the future for all of us. This one's fun. These guys are revolutionizing the world. They're doing something that matters. And those are the type of companies that we like to feature on The Disruptors. So without further ado, I give you Abe Cambridge.
0: We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard.
1: So we wanted to talk about Bitcoin. We wanted to talk about renewable energy. But I liked the, the point that you brought up initially, the, the parallel between the two in terms of decentralization of everything. Tell me, where are you? Who are you? How do you get here? And why is this something fascinating?
0: My name is Abe Cambridge. I'm currently sat in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, I'm a solar energy entrepreneur. i also a climate change scientist. And uh, I set up some exchange to allow anyone in the world to own solar panels and, and make money from them, and, and that's that's what we've set out to achieve and have achieved. But I think what's really important is to kind of pre see um, or, or expand a little on on the, the point of of solar power and the point of cryptocurrency in general. These are technologies. Okay, they, they, uh, they were created in 2008, 2009 into the market. And I mean, solar panels and have been around for 100 years or so, but only commercially brought forward in so 2008, 2009. Um, and then, and they were, these technologies evolved. They emerged as a, as a solution to some of the problems we're facing internationally, which is increasing energy costs because whilst you're using a finite resource of a fossil fuel and those fossil fuels causing environmental harm, um, the actual cost of using a finite resource increases the more people need energy. So you're having increasingly expensive energy costs, and even in the UK, where I'm from, energy poverty is a real thing. You know, people are actually not being able to heat their homes um, because energy costs are increasing because of the increasing demand on, on fossil fuels. Um, and at the same time, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, the world hit the financial the, the financial catastrophe that, that the world faced. Um, which is a, as a result, money is now becoming worth less over time because of the quantitative easing that was put into place to, to, to make up the mistakes that were made by the, by the financial sector. Um, it basically reduces the purchasing power of our, of our normal money.
1: And for people, quantitative easing is just putting more money into the economy essentially to stimulate growth.
0: It's the, it's the central banks pressing a print button and flooding the market with, with more money. And obviously the more money that gets into circulation, the less worth the money in circulation has in a purest sense. And um, so really, the solar power and and cryptocurrency are technological fixes um, to both of those global issues. So solar panels are a a commodity um, and the more people buy that commodity, the cheaper they become. So the more people buy solar panels, the cheaper solar panels are. Uh, which is like the complete inverse of of fossil fuel energy. And likewise with uh, with cryptocurrency ie I- Bitcoin has a finite resource of money. The more people use it, the more expensive the so the more more valuable um, those, those cryptocurrencies become. So you completely transition away from a world of finite um, finite uh, sorry we completely transition from a world of infinite money and finite resource. and you then transition into a world of an infinite resource and a finite money. So you, it basically becomes cheaper to buy energy into the future once you transition away from once you flip. I might call it the energy flipping. You flip from fossil fuels to solar, and, and then and all of a sudden energy becomes cheaper as we go as we go forward and, and not more expensive. And that's that's really the transition, that tipping point that we that we passed in around two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. I call it the, the the movement into the silicon age. You know, the, the true silicon based economy. You know, we're, we're now able to produce um, electricity using silicon chips and exposed to the sun. And uh, with, with cryptocurrency, we now have a monetary system um, based and being run on silicon chips. Uh, so this is an entirely now solid-state economy, um, moving away from uh, burning... Uh, coal and burning oil in big power stations and digging gold out the ground in order to have as a, a reserve in, in a vault somewhere. This is now an entirely digital, entirely solid state, and and, and a system that's really befitting of, of an advanced society.
1: Which of the two developments is more exciting for you, cryptocurrencies or solar or renewable?
0: What's really exciting for me is when the two things merge and when you start solar powering cryptocurrency and you're you know you're powering Bitcoin mines with solar power and then the, and but I say more importantly is what you do with the, with the Bitcoin that's being produced, like what you spend it on. Um, so I mean the, the platform that we've built was built it's not specifically but in, in to enable people that use cryptocurrency to convert that theoretical wealth into something that's real, physical and tangible like a solar panel, but then gives an income paid out over time. So uh, what well, for me that's what's interesting is that is that, is that merging point that, that nexus where the two things cross. You know, that, that fusion happens when money and sunshine become the same thing. You know, in fact, if you can now start converting sunlight into money, and that money is in cryptocurrency, you then have a completely decentralized way of earning money just from a solar panel that could be positioned anywhere else on Earth. Um, in a way that's transnational. Please, no. To one, make it, go ahead. So, I would say that no one owns sunlight. Um, you know, the planet is rotating. Um, so, you, a, a individual should be entitled to position their solar panel anywhere on Earth, on Earth, provided that there's a, a place to put it. And you know, our our platform, the Sun Exchange, now allows people to locate their solar panels on a roof, powering a school or a business. So, therefore, creating a social impact as well, and then earning an income from it, paid out in crypto. And we wouldn't be able to do this it wasn't for the advancements in cryptocurrency. And this is the very fact that there is an ownerless, decentralized, um, transnational currency that we can now use to interact with the whole planet at once, um, which is perfectly married to the concept of the whole world being able to extract value from the sun, which is also a transnational phenomenon.
1: Does it need to be transnational? Does it need to be ownerless? So what we've seen right now is there's been There was a takeoff in cryptocurrency. There was a bit of a crash after we had an ICO, essentially Wild West. And there will be projects that come out. I think yours is one of the projects that actually does make sense in terms of what you're doing. You're essentially allowing, like Uber did, you're allowing a driver to turn a car into something profitable, but even if they don't have a car, kind of.
0: Yeah, we're we're allowing people who've got empty roof spaces to allow people who want to own solar panels to put the solar panels on their empty roof space. In return, they get cheaper energy and the owner of the solar panel gets an income from the electricity Mm -hmm. But but uh, just one thing that Sun Exchange existed before the ICO movement even started. Oh yeah, you guys were you guys were way earlier than yeah. That. We we pre ICO. I mean, so Sun Exchange started before Ethereum even existed. Yeah, we, we're we're long in the tooth in this game by by stand by the measures of things. So why
1: Bitcoin and why cryptocurrency specifically the decentralization aspect and ownerless aspect? I feel like a lot of people would use it if it was a U.S. dollar coin, but then you have the problem of compromising on the morals that cryptocurrency started on. Is that compromise necessary to make it win, though?
0: I, th- I think what we've really re- just seen in the last week um, is why Bitcoin exists and its strength in the fact that it's ownerless. So right now, um, Facebook and Libra um, announced that they want to start a cryptocurrency that's essentially pegged the dollar. So it becomes like a stable cryptocurrency, But because there's one person or several organizations standing up saying, we're going to own this thing, it's going to be us, it's a private organization. They are then, the the federal government, i.e. Donald Trump, knows who to then say, you can't do that. And they have to because they know who they are. And uh, and it's an organization that could be subpoenaed. Whilst Bitcoin, which is a protocol, it's just language, it's just data that anyone can run in a permissionless system. You can't shut that down. Um, And yes, there are on the on the guess on the downside. Yes, it's volatile. It's only volatile if you hold Bitcoin as an investment, as an as a speculative instrument. But that's not what it was designed for. It was designed to be a, a peer to peer digital cash payment system, which is all that anyone should really be using it for. It just means that the more people that are using it as a payment system, the actual units of data, i.e. the Satoshi units within a Bitcoin, become more expensive to get hold of over time in order to send that value to someone else, to your other peer. Provided that that is sold within 10 minutes, the volatility on Bitcoin's value is negligible at best, or worse rather. So, I mean, it is really just a way to transact and send. I, I've finally buy a buy $100 worth of Bitcoin in South Africa. I send it to you. You then sell it for $100 in the United States. It's taken 10 minutes. We've, you've got your $100. I've sent you the $100. We just use Bitcoin as the intermediary. That's all it was ever designed to be. And because it's... Uh, a a system that's run in a completely decentralized distributed manner it's impossible to stop sh- shut this thing down it's just a protocol it's just it's just data at the end of the day and as a result it's it's a lot stronger it's um it's it's infallible the you know the power of that mining network is so extraordinary that you know, nothing nothing in the world comes close to, to computational power than the bitcoin mining network at, at now as so we speak so I mean, it's it's the strongest it's the most liquid and the most valuable cryptocurrency there is and uh, we use it as the, as the as currency system because when we started Sun Exchange, there was no Ethereum. In fact, I'd even question using Ethereum now. But Bitcoin does exactly what we wanted to do, and it's got the most mining power behind
1: it. So I would say, ideologically, I'm very aligned with you in terms of that would be the world that I would like to see, where there's not a government-owned currency, because I think the government holds several things over your head. They have the military, so they hold a gun to your head, and they hold taxes to your head, essentially. And then you're locked in by uh, borderless walls, so to speak. But in terms of realities, we see that people are willing to give away almost anything to get another cute cat picture on Facebook. They don't care about their data. They don't care about their rights. And I think Bitcoin's I think Bitcoin's limit in terms of the actual number of units that will be produced is ultimately going to be its downfall as a payment platform because. As, as you said, when you have limited supply, price goes up. So people are just going to hold something. What does the future of cryptocurrency look like? And is there going to need to be for mass adoption? I know that you're very much a believer, but I think I think libertarians in general are the ones that started this. But will they be the ones that see it through to the end zone, so to speak?
0: Well, I think we're going to see a complete evolution in how the, in how this is even built and used. I mean, when when computers or when the internet first existed, it was it was geeks um, who started emailing each other. No one else had an email address, so emailing seemed pointless. But people did. Um, and right now, we, people say, "Well, no one accepts Bitcoin, so why would you use it?" But over time, you're going to have this gradual development of more and more people using it. Which again is another parallel to solar power. I mean solar power first started? It was it was you know it was just spacecraft and hippies who used solar panels and, and more and more like people just start to realize the actual benefit in using solar because it's it's actually cheaper to get energy from it um and and it, it's it's kind of more fun as well because you're producing your own energy and you're not having to go through a, a third party a centralized party in order to get that energy so it's much more democratic so anyone with a believer in democracy any believer in democracy should be a should be a fan of cryptocurrency because you're dismediating um, control. Um, and I don't know either that but because it's international, um, you know we can accept Bitcoins from any country in the world. And when we pay out the lease payments from the solar panels and being leased through the Sun Exchange platforms, the the use of the platform, we can now interact with the whole world using Bitcoin. We don't need to choose the dollar. If we chose the dollar, we'd exclude the European market, we'd exclude the Japanese market. But by paying out in Bitcoin, everyone in the world can interact and exchange their Bitcoin for the local so it's become, it's become the global currency of the internet. I mean, it is money of the internet. And the, the internet doesn't have an owner. The internet is decentralized. Um, I mean, the people who uh, Google may uh, argue with that fact. But the fact is that it is, a, it is just a, a, a computer network, which started with this idea of connecting the world.
1: Um, what if Facebook's Libra coin works? Will that in fact be true? Or will they ultimately even jump the US dollar?
0: I think that if, if LibraCoin gets, gets pulled off, um, I think firstly,
1: it's dangerous.
0: it will highlight that for a start, it will become the most targeted cryptocurrency, bar none, by hackers. And although it's a permissioned system, so only nodes who are in the permission can, can run it, I think it's going to be, they're going to find themselves being, you know, the hackers in the world are going to be seeing that as the biggest target that there is for a start. And secondly, because it's a stable coin, um, there, are, there are issues with that. So people could start hoarding Libra and then selling it for a discount, which could collapse the currency, which is one, which is one threat. And then the other issue is that by people holding this now cryptocurrency, which is interchangeable with other cryptocurrencies, it really just it validates cryptocurrency in general. I mean, if you can go to Coinbase, you've got your Libra token, your Libra coin, and it's worth $1 and always will be. And then you're suddenly seeing Bitcoin's worth more. You're going to sell your Libra coin for the Bitcoin that's increasing in value. And you can very easily because you're now a cryptocurrency user. So I think more than anything, is going to highlight that Libra is already highlighting why Bitcoin is better, because it can't be shut down. It can't be subpoenaed. The value will increase over time when people use it and is is ultimately the most secure system.
1: But does anyone really care about that? Because Facebook's not very secure. It's owned by one person. He hasn't made the best decisions. And yet he also owns Instagram and WhatsApp. So if Facebook's not working, let's move to those.
0: And um, they could stop you from using your wallet. I mean, if I were to buy something which that it is against it. But
1: you're you're thinking from a liber- you're thinking from a libertarian perspective. Most people don't have any of these see, this is the issue I have is you're thinking from an idealist perspective. I would argue that most people don't think about this and wouldn't care less. Like my bank could do the same thing, but what percentage of the US and what percentage of the world is banked is alternative and even alternative cryptocurrencies let's say that let's say i'm in south africa and i want to accept payments let's say i'm somewhere that has actual actual backwoods type banking structure am i
0: going to like like most of africa yeah like
1: most of okay yes like most of africa let's say i want to do that am i going to use whatsapp and send it via like a libra coin which is just how wechat does it or am i going to use a system that doesn't have a name and...
0: People already are. I mean, in Kenya right now, um, more people using mobile money, mobile just peer-to-peer on their mobile phones um, than have bank accounts. I mean, the the, the, uh, the owner of the m pesa which is the company which owns the mobile wallet system, is now bigger than the banks of Kenya. It's, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, there's actually more advanced financial system than than people in the UK. I mean, people in the UK are still scared of internet banking in some instances, and yet you've got people sending money from a mobile phone device. So, I think um, socially, it's and behaviourally, people are more used to digital money in, in Africa than than most of the places in the world. Like they've never had a bank account. They've never. They've only ever used hard cash. Now they have come straight to kind of mobile money applications. So I think people are going to be more inclined to use cryptocurrency here than. In fact, we're already seeing it. Uh, people using cryptocurrency more in, particularly in South Africa than in other countries per capita.
1: Definitely, but for them, LibraCoin will be a cryptocurrency, even though it's not technically encrypted for others.
0: But what it is, it's a more stable, stable coin. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a more trustworthy, stable coin because the companies behind it are so big. Um, yeah, but you've got true USD and you've got US dollar Tether, which are stable coins that are supposedly pegged to the dollar. But no one really knows, is that true? Do they really have one dollar? Tether, tether's not, apparently. Yeah, There's uh, just so much money behind I'm, I'm not going to comment on that. I don't want to be taken to court. It's okay. You know it's true. <laughs> but but uh, the fact is that you know someone like Facebook and Visa and MasterCard the fact that these are a Mastercard want to get involved in the cryptocurrency project shows that they recognise the writing is on the wall for the old school credit card payment system, and that they understand and recognise that the future for money, especially in emerging markets, is cryptocurrency. as so they're starting their own. And what that will do is it will just validate the other cryptocurrencies which are already in use, and um, and ultimately will just drive the Bitcoin the price up. And the more people will join the network, that's my that's my that's my that's my that's my, say it's my hope. But it's my uh, My prediction.
1: Digital slash cryptocurrencies are clearly the future because they're better in almost all ways. But will that, I still think it'll, I still unfortunately think it'll be behind a large. Um, third party as opposed to a distributed network just because of getting people on board. If Facebook gets 2 billion users. It probably will.
0: It probably will, you know? They they probably will, but it will still. Um, I mean, if you're saying that if you think that the market cap uh, of Libra will exceed that of Bitcoin at some point.
1: I think it'll exceed all of them. You, you think? Bar, bar, I think, bar none, it will exceed absolutely all of them. Well, if
0: I. Like, I yeah,
1: think the world standard for a bank.
0: Okay, but I, I would compare it to, I mean, if you're going to compare Bitcoin to digital gold, you know? You'd say that the amount of money in circulation or the amount of of credit default swaps in circulation between banks and financial institutions is far greater than the value of gold. And that gold is the only thing of real value, in inverted commas, according to the uh, existing of uh, well, the old school financial system where you have to have fractional reserves of gold in your vaults, which you're allowed to lend on based on your fractional reserve. And therefore, it just kind of proves that if you have a a, a network like Libra running, which becomes more valuable than Bitcoin, Bitcoin is still going to be there. It's still going to be that that kind of reserve. You, you've got that... that uh, that kind of pr- proof-of-work protocol um, with that amount of power in the background uh, is, is significant. And the fact that it's, it's, it's permissionless. You know, anyone can use Bitcoin. And you know, the, I think one of the other things is this is idea that these, these, these currencies assist um, cyber, cyber crime and uh, money laundering and you know, illicit drug purchasing. But I mean, I, I've been watching James Bond movies my whole life, and it's always US dollar notes and suitcases that are being used for those kind of activities. And the fact that every transaction on the Bitcoin network is there forever—you can never delete it. So, at the moment that someone reveals their, private, their, their public key and that gets identified to a person, that the game is up. So, really, you know, the dollars are far more, far easier to use for committing crime than um, than, than doing uh, than using cryptocurrency. So, that's a whole other kind of aspect of it, which I think is very much misunderstood. You know, the, the, the record of Bitcoin is is transparent; it is publicly available. And I think that's actually why, especially some, uh, some governments are against it, because if they're forced to use a public ledger, then the money flows within a, within a government are visible to everybody. And they would, have to be fought, they would have to share that, show their hand of how public money is actually being spent.
1: You mean lighting it on fire?
0: I just think that, uh, uh, for example, governments that are doing things which they shouldn't be, which is very much the case in in, in emerging markets especially, um, that if they were to force to use a public ledger, then they would have to think twice before performing... uh, you know before taking public money and, and misspending misappropriating public money so I think that's one of the reasons why there's kickback from from it
1: I agree I think that governments would love the pros without the cons they want it to be public with respect to everyone else's transactions yeah because then you're able to see any tax dodger and hmm, where do you get that money well,
0: from? well that sounds like Libra I mean Libra they track every transaction they will be they can demand to see the transactions but it's by permission only so you know it's it's a, it's a ideal scenario for a government um and I think what they what Libra is trying to Say to, to um, the, the, the federal government right now, and the states is saying, "Look, someone's going to do this, so let, let's let, let's be us. Let's let's be the guys that start this this global cryptocurrency that everyone uses."
1: Um, do you think it could threaten governments?
0: Um,
1: Especially the U.S. one. If suddenly the U.S. dollar isn't necessarily the global standard, but something else replaces it in terms of transactions? Well, volume.
0: Well, I think that in the way that you look at world history, you know what what has been the reserve currency. They, every currency has its time. And before the U.S. dollar, it was the British pound. Before the British pound, it was the I don't know. It was before that probably the Roman Roman coin or something. Before that, it was a doubloon. Or before that, it was a seashell. You know, it's like there's always a a time for when something is recognised and used as the, as the global instrument, um, but I think it's going to transition to a cryptocurrency variant, and someone's going to do it. And there's, there's, I would say it's a race, but there's challenges on um, what what is that cryptocurrency that's going to be that that globally used system. But right now, Bitcoin is winning.
1: And I think anyone that understands how cryptocurrencies works understands that these will become the system that we use for payments because the system we have right now sucks. It doesn't just suck in the third world. It sucks everywhere if you're spending 3% on a transaction fee.
0: Exactly. So, I, no, I can put that into a really good context, right? The, because the Bitcoin is so much in demand in South Africa, there's, a, there's actually a positive arbitrage. Like People are willing to pay more than 5% more than the globally market value of Bitcoin here. So, if someone buys solar panels through our platform, they're actually getting a five percent discount by spending Bitcoin on those solar panels. Whilst if you pay by credit card, you have to pay two percent uh, service fee for the credit card issuer. So, you actually like it's it's seven percent cheaper to to buy our good with a solar with a with Bitcoin than it is using a credit card. And, and, it's, and it's instant as well.
1: When you play telephone with people and you say one word and it has to go around seven different people, you always get different words at the end. Yeah, <laughs> there's, right. that little, there's that little everybody's hands screw something up a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting if you look at the especially when it comes to Africa, but most most countries that would be considered developing or third world right now. They're skipping a lot of the transitions that the West has gone through in terms of the transitions to factories, the transitions to mass production, the transitions to having a grid, the transitions to having stable banking infrastructure. They're jumping those, going mobile, going solar, going crypto. How do you see these trends playing out in the long term? Is this something where... So, for instance, when I when I buy something and when I buy something in the US versus buying something in China or parts of Europe, it can feel it can feel uh, decades old in terms of how it happens to happen. You've got to pay cash to do this and we accept cards, but you can't do any type of mobile payments.
0: Well, I I I, 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 I can. Sorry, carry on.
1: No, no, no. It's just when you get fat and lazy, you get fat and lazy. And sometimes the contender reaches up and goes rocky on you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you how things are uh, down here on the ground in, in South Africa. So, I mean, it's, as in most emerging markets, you have these vast informal settlements like townships or flabellas or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's, it's areas around the city, it's filled with poverty and crime because people from rural areas... Uh, get up and leave because they want to go to a city to get a mobile phone connection, to get money, to earn money, to get access to electricity. Um, and, and that's why people join these slums. And then the rural areas get, get left behind and, and, and collapse in, in terms of their societies. So I, mean, I, I visited rural Kenya last year in a, for a rural microgrid solar project uh, it's a company called Powerhive um, who we're, we're partnering with. Um, and so now there's this very remote rural community who have a, a, solar, a large solar plant in the middle of their village which distributes electricity to each, each household. And every household now has access to Wi-Fi connection through that same network. And they've all got mobile phones and they pay digital money to each other. So now they can grow cash crops in their village and rather than walking into town and, and selling it at a market, they can now sell it on the agricultural equivalent of eBay in that community. And so as a result, the the, the, the people growing up in that village now, they, have, they can make money, they're connected to the world, and they've got clean, reliable electricity that they don't have to rely on, it on a centralized grid to provide them. Now, if that village didn't have access to a solar powered microgrid and mobile money, the only alternative would be to wait for their government to connect them to the main grid, which could take 10, 15 years, which is probably more likely never to happen. And they will never be able to um, be able to charge their phones and they wouldn't be able to sell their crops to the international market direct. So, and that's all because they've got access to clean electricity mm-hmm. and, and, and solar and decentralised electricity. So it's this, prospect, this aspect of decentralisation, you don't need to go to this one hub to get what you need now. It can now become distributed and decentralised so you can now have your own money. You don't need to go to a bank and ask permission to have a bank account. You can own a digital wallet. You can own a cryptocurrency. You can own a solar panel, you can use a solar panel that doesn't have to be connected to a centralised grid. That's what's happening. And I don't think there's any dispute around it. It's it's sustainable development in action. The World Bank is funding projects like this because alleviating energy poverty and rural electrification is one of the biggest challenges for to sustainable development, it, it, it's 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 a global uh, issue which can, which is now being addressed because of decentralisation, primarily around energy. So it's it's fascinating to see this roll out, but it just needs to happen faster. Uh, and so, I mean, what what we're doing is is facilitating that by allowing our platform users to own solar panels in projects like that. Which means we can make these projects happen faster. Because I mean, to date, project developers need to go to organisations like the World Bank for funding to pay for the hardware for these projects, which could take a year and two years in some instances. And because our platform the Sun Exchange, is like almost democratizing the, the going ahead of these projects because our users choose whether to put their solar panel into those projects or not. So and it speeds the whole it's the whole it speeds up the whole pro- practice.
1: Today's episode is brought to you guys by JobFlare, an awesome app that helps you get hired by playing games seriously. I know that when I was in college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I studied engineering and there were a million and one opportunities in front of me. If you guys have listened to the show, you know I'm unemployable at this point. I am much too hard-headed for that. But if I went back to when I was 18, 20 years old, this would have been incredible. Download it on your Android app, play a couple of games. There were some really interesting ones, puzzles, math, memory. You quickly run through some things, helps find some of your strengths you may not even have known you had, and then suggests incredible jobs in your area that could be something that of a great fit for you in an era where people are going to college without knowing what they want to do. This is a great way to figure out some interesting opportunities for you and just maybe switch jobs, switch careers, and become happier in what you're doing. Again, play games, get hired. Go to jobflare.com/disrupt. That's j o b f l a r e dot com/disrupt. Download the app, play some games, get hired. Thank you, Jobflare, for supporting the disruptors. Now back to the episode. How do you see the future of crowdfunding, crowd investing? There's been a lot of push and yet there hasn't been a lot of big winners when it comes to the projects and type of things that come out of crowdfunded projects to date. Because it's kind of, I mean, you could say the same thing about ICOs and blockchain. A lot, there's a lot of selection bias where. The best projects, the best entrepreneurs, and a lot of times, unfortunately, the most connected ones. Go to the VCs, get the money and build something.
0: <coughs> EOS. <coughs> uh, so, yeah, um, I think that uh, the, the idea of crowdfunding is uh, for ICOs in general and that, that aspect is going to dismediate traditional VC funding. I think, as we're seeing now, there was an awful lot of projects launched um, over the last couple of years, which never amounted to anything. It was just marketing. It was just it was just hype, um, and and no business model to speak of. I mean, there's there's a South African company called Walla. They've now gone under because they did an ICO. They raised over a million dollars, um, but they didn't have a business model. They they weren't making money. They had no revenue model, which uh, is which is which is a, which is a disaster for so the people people involved using that network. I mean, so I mean people need to do their own due diligence and they need to check what what they're getting involved with. But I mean, I don't see that phenomenon stopping because it, these, some of those platforms do work. I mean, some of, the, some of the ICO, I think Ethereum was launched on ICO and Ethereum works. It, it does what it's intended to do. Yes, it's being used to, train, uh, to trade virtual cats. To going back to what the, the, you talk about, uh, kitties, but the, uh, Ethereum is now being used to trade virtual cats, put it that way. So, I mean, basically, Pokemon cards for people that aren't familiar. Exactly. So, so people have built this amazing machine, this decentralized computer, and people are now using it to trade virtual cats. So but, uh, but I think that's just part of the, the maturity the, the maturing of the industry and gradually more and more businesses will start using applications run on these decentralized tools and then and, 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 and traditional money will now start going into buying the tokens which are which these platforms are, are being uh, run on and I think the other issue is every every jurisdiction has their own rules and regulations around crowdfunding so that, and so when you're using, and a, a fiat currency like the dollar or like, like the euro, then you kind of have to completely comply with the regulations of how those currencies can be used. Now, I'm not saying that crap, I mean, the actual raising of investment, you have to comply by the rules in each jurisdiction, you're doing that. But how some of these systems are run and operating, they kind of transcend and they, you, don't, you can't really fit traditional rules, and regulations into these new models because those tokens are being used in that platform There's utility around. sometimes. Sometimes. And um, I mean, with Sun Exchange specifically, like our business, uh, we're, we're not a crowdfunding platform. We're a way for people to actually directly own a solar panel that's being leased into a project. So it's, it's, it's synthetically and aesthetically, it looks like crowdfunding. When you get dig down into it, it's actually not because people are actually buying an actual piece of hardware, which actually exists, which you're getting paid for the work that piece of hardware does um, that's, that's measurable. Um, and
1: it's like having a time it's like having a timeshare where two different people own it and they're renting it out you're just distributing that so larger people. it's actually
0: even better than a timeshare because only one person owns it like you own your solar panel and you're supplying supplying electricity to the solar power plant which you're getting paid for
1: do you have to buy do you have to buy a full a full solar panel or can you buy half a panel
0: you can buy a solar cell and a solar panel is made up of 72 cells so the base unit is a solar cell so that's an, and that's Ultimately, what the part of the plant doing the work, I mean, the solar cell is the thing producing electricity. So the solar cell is the base unit. You can't go smaller than that. You can't own half a cell, for example, because then it stops being a cell. So we've broken it down to the base unit. That's what people are, are buying. We know how much electricity that solar cell has produced, and they're getting paid for, for that. And I think the closest analogy would be something like a, a condominium block. So we're basically the commercial, the, the real estate agent for that condo block and people are buying the apartments in that block and then leasing it out to a tenant. They don't know who the tenant is, in some instances or sometimes they may do, but basically us as the real estate agent, our platform facilitates the selling of the apartment units to someone and that facilitates the finding of a, of a tenant for that apartment. We're doing the same thing just with solar panels break down to a cell level
1: so solar and generating energy is one problem storage is the other side what do you think about the battery technology what elon's doing and where we're headed because right now it's complicated to say the least in terms of integrating solar with the grid and having surges etc
0: yeah there's there's two um kind of there's two tracks of development technology happening now you've got mobile batteries which is what tesla have been advancing mobile battery solutions where. Uh, having energy density and weight as a minimum. So increasing energy density and reducing weight is, is their priority. Um, and then you've got things like what I call terrestrial applications, like ground-based systems, which are fixed, where space isn't a uh, premium and neither is weight or mobility. Uh, so that's just about reducing the, the cost of energy storage in total. Um, and with that, we're seeing some really cool advancements in things like flow flow battery systems, gravity battery systems, and, and, and supercapacitors and, and graphene storage. Um, so really, you've got these two, two worlds, like mo- mobile and, and, and fixed. So... In both of these worlds now, you're having radical advancements in the, in the cost reduction, you exponential dropping of cost. So the more people buy these battery storage systems, the cheaper they'll become. Um, so we're already seeing now in, in, in the United States a solar plant with storage, which has undercut every other form of fossil fuel energy production on a per kilowatt hour basis without subsidy, now now being given the go ahead. So it, it, we ha- we have now crossed that point where solar and storage is now cheaper than fossil fuel production, and I mean, and and even nuclear is cheaper than nuclear, and that's not that's not even including the cost of cleaning up nuclear disasters, which is extraordinary. Do you know, the cost of cleaning up the, the Fukushima power plant is something sure. that. Do you know Shit it's a of money 3 quarters of a trillion dollars
1: and don't forget lives people
0: yeah and and that's not even fixed yet and it's still an issue you know when if a solar plant breaks you just you find the part of it that's broken and you replace it it's modular you know it, no one no one has ever died because of a solar pv plant breaking you know, if, and it's 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 just such a more elegant system and it's and it's clean
1: what are we at efficiency wise for solar panels
0: So efficiency, we're now around, the the record for efficiency is 43%. And that's from Spectrolab, which is a Boeing subsidiary. But efficiency is only of interest to you if space is a premium. So efficiency is a, a massive big deal to you if you're NASA right? Because getting anything up into space is really expensive and space literally isn't a premium in space, ironically. What we care about here on Earth is efficiency of manufacturing. Like, How much energy does it take to make your solar panel? How cheap can we get that solar panel, irrespective of how efficient that solar panel actually is like it's all about cost per kilowatt hour produced and that's why crystalline solar panels are still the most used solar panel and they're about 17 18 percent efficient and they're gradually increasing over time not not exponentially very linear growth when I started in the solar industry back in 2008, the solar panel was around 12 or 12 or 13% efficient. Here we are, 10 years later, we're now at 17 18% efficient. But don't forget that there is a limit to how much sunlight you can capture. Because if you're, if you're capturing 100% of the sunlight available within a given piece of surface area, what you've done is you've just built a black hole and something from which light cannot escape. And we don't want to be building black holes on the surface of the planet. I think things could stop getting messy
1: there's people trying to do it so. <laughs>
0: yeah we start to have some weird space time phenomena happening in labs
1: yeah so it's it's super interesting it's kind of like renting your home versus buying your home if you could get rid of the interest as a kind of analogy solar keeps producing even after you've bought it and you got to keep paying for gas but, but there's what, no there's
0: no more fuel required once you've built once you've bought your solar panel it just keeps producing electricity passively with no what's
1: the payback period how many months, years, et cetera, is it taking people to recoup a uh, investment? Let's not say through Sun Exchange. Let's say ter- traditional. I want to put solar panels on my roof, et cetera. Use some averages.
0: It's about the same. I mean, the, the fact Sun Exchange is designed to be an alternative to putting solar panels on the roof of your own home with the same benefits. And so it's about the same. It's about eight, eight years, I'd say, for a payback without subsidy. Obviously, some jurisdictions have tax benefits and um, feed in tariffs, which in which, which bring that in, but that's, a, that's based on a, on a policy, a government policy, which I, in the UK, we saw the, 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 the negative consequences of that. When that policy was changed, the market collapsed. Um, so you can't you can't necessarily rely on on a subsidy to, to support your business model because it can be repealed at any point.
1: Yeah, that's what's killed renewables in the past the subsidies and then the up and downs of the oil pricing.
0: Exactly. So I mean, here in South Africa, we very specifically built our model around this works this return without any subsidy without any supportive policy from the government. You know, we're building embedded generation of solar without subsidy and we're getting you know, paybacks between eight, 8 and 10 years. We, out the IRR on our projects were around 11%, which is equivalent to about a 6% return a year uh, APR. But it's they're not really comparable. It's like comparing apples to pears because this is a rental income stream that you're receiving, which works out to be about 11% IRR, which is equivalent to, put it, to what you'd get from if you put solar panels on the roof of your own home. And own them on the roof here. But with the advantage of if you move home, you no longer have your solar panels. But with solar panels on a roof through Sun Exchange, you don't even need to own a home. You can live in an apartment and own solar panels through, on a roof through Sun Exchange.
1: Is that the future of ownership for everything? Is the future some type of distributed ownership of homes, cars, etc? Or is it platforms where? I subscribe either my city or I subscribe to Uber, etc., And it just comes and picks me up wherever with an autonomous drive vehicle, no driver.
0: I think the two things, you- I think the two things will merge. I you think you'll have both through the same platform. You can then go and buy an Uber car, which then goes and drives around working for you without you ever needing to even see the car. I mean, that's what they've been built for. In some instances, they've start you know, putting cameras inside signing them so the owner of that car can see what the, the, the user of that vehicle is doing at any one point. It's the same thing. I mean at Sun Exchange, you, you might you might not ever see your solar panel that's being used, but we give you live data showing you what the electricity is producing. So it's it's I think ownership is going to become decentralized in itself. I mean the it's a decentralized world with decentralized ownership I think is hopefully what we can move towards rather than a world where you've got entirely centralized ownership over over these new systems. So what I would hope to see or expect to see is it's a, is a decentralized uber um, where you know the, car, the actual, each individual car in the network can be owned by somebody else or even a group of people
1: it's really hard, especially with Uber, because you have to have the supply and demand. You kind of have to, the marketplaces are challenging to build. If you can build them and build those incentives in, you can theoretically upset them. But it's, you yeah, know, they did, well, they did very well with everything but profitability. We'll still see if, we'll still see if we get there. Well, that's well,
0: that's how they got their user growth. I mean, I, I, I read this amazing book called The Startups, which compare, you know, how Airbnb and Uber actually started and the lens they went to to get their network started. So they were hanging outside train stations in New York City, like giving mobile phones to taxi drivers saying like, use this, use this, use this. And then, and then because obviously the riders wouldn't use the network if there weren't drivers available, but then the drivers wouldn't use the network if there weren't rider demand. So they had to very gradually work on keeping that balance. And I mean, us as a, and if I say a sharing economy type platform at some exchange, we we we, to, we have the same challenge. Like we've got to make sure that, the numbers of people using our platform, we've got enough solar panels to buy at any one time through the platform. But at the same time, if we have got too many solar panels to buy and not enough demand, then people won't want to use our platform to become solar powered because the project might not happen. You know, So we've we got a balance. It is a balancing act.
1: It is a balancing but, act.
0: But, but once you break that, That tipping point, that breakthrough point, when you get your escape velocity, then then things can just shoot up exponentially. And so we we've got a huge back. We've got so so many projects that we haven't launched that we're waiting to onboard as soon as we've got enough users on the platform to actually meet that meet that
1: demand. What are the best use cases for blockchain? Not Bitcoin, but blockchain going forward. They can be centralized. They can be decentralized blockchains. But how do you see this evolving?
0: I think records. Um, so, uh, property ownership, I think, is really important. Um, I mean, uh, uh, any any record of history. I mean, the Library of Alexandria was burnt down in uh, in, in 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 ancient times, which allegedly set back human science knowledge by 2000 years, you know, literally put the earth and in, in Europe into the dark ages because they burn up all information, never to be retrieved. But the fact that provided you know the, the cryptographic key or the private key of, the, of, your, of your record and the Bitcoin blockchain, you can always access that information and that info, information is always going to be there. And anyone can keep a record of that Bitcoin blockchain. So it could be engraved into a gold phonograph disc and sent out into space. Um, And then recovered a billion years later, and you still have all the records that was ever achieved on on, on that record of information. So any any record of information, obviously interaction of money that we've discussed about at length. But I think property records um, is probably a really good use case.
1: I would say as well. But how do you think about the immutability of information? For instance, XYZ actress gets naked pictures uploaded online and can never get them taken down. Or you get arrested, but it turns out that they were looking for someone who looks just like you, the doppelganger. But you know what, now this is, this applies to Google uh, showing up when people search for you, the number one result is arrested, even though they don't find out.
0: So what you're doing is, is the right to be forgotten.
1: Yeah. And it becomes, it becomes null and void essentially in blockchains.
0: Hmm. Well, I guess you, that that record can only be accessed if you have a public key. So, provided that you can destroy your key, that information should theoretically be. If
1: you upload your own naked pictures, now if I upload Abe's Abe's naked pictures, Abe's in trouble.
0: You don't. You don't want to see my naked
1: pictures. No, I don't.
0: <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, but the fact is the Bitcoin blockchain already has weird information on it. You know, there, there is loads of weird stuff on there that people have put there just for a joke. I mean, the first record ever on the Genesis block of the Bitcoin blockchain is, a, is an article from the Times newspaper, which was to, to commemorate the birth of the, the, the blockchain, which said that um, uh, the chance of the, the exchequer it's just approved a second bailout for the banks. And that newspaper article is now there forever immutably on the blockchain. And I guess whatever people want to put on there is going to put on there. But I think that as the Bitcoin blockchain increases, it becomes increasingly harder to put stupid information on there that's got no point because it's expensive to do. You, know, you actually have to pay a fee to put data on, on there. So you're only going to do that if actually you want to do it and there's a value to doing it. If you want to put my naked pictures on there and then then ransom me, you know, that's that's theoretically possible. But it's I guess it's theoretically possible on, on any network, is it not?
1: Yeah, it's tough. It's kind of the paradox of openness versus uh, closeness is how much how much censorship do you want?
0: But I, but I think my point is is that to to put pictures on the block on, on the Bitcoin blockchain is is going to be so expensive to do.
1: Don't think Bitcoin. Don't think Bitcoin. Think blockchain in the future because the future is not necessarily. I would argue, probably not Bitcoin.
0: Well, if you if you've got the rewritable blockchains like Hyperledger, for example, um, then uh, then theoretically you can rewrite the blockchain because you if you agree as a consensus to rewrite it, then you can. I mean, they, th- they did that with Ethereum. I mean, there was a. a, a the first application on Ethereum was, was DAO, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization. There was a bug in that. It got hacked. And so they basically rewound history, ran another chain, and then they called that Ethereum instead. But the original Ethereum blockchain is called now called Ethereum Classic and still exists, an alternative version of history i.e. the true version of history. But everyone just agreed that actually this turn of history is the correct one. Which kind of undermined the whole principle of of a of immutability. But they kind of had to because well, they felt they had to.
1: Everyone got screwed. Everyone got screwed. <laughs> can yeah. you can you ever actually get all the bugs out of code? I would argue it's probably no, which means that you're kind of always going to have major hiccups if you try to go with a smart contract system.
0: Yeah, it depends on what, what how complex you're trying to be. I mean, what are you trying to do? I mean, if it's a really, really simple. But
1: if everything's hackable, then everything's buggable, right?
0: Yeah. Um it depends again it depends on the complexity of what you're trying to do because if it's something really simple like this person does this and this person does this and this this event happens it's basically like a one plus one equals two scenario um but you just basically have but you don't need to have a third party to verify that one and one have been added in
1: matt dies his assets get transferred to his family etc but then you have this the situation of matt getting kidnapped or someone impersonating matt or Matt dying, but also the company that reinforces it dying. It's yes, true,
0: but, I mean, you've, but now you're talking about off, off-chain source of information. So there's a project called Chainlink, which is kind of a, an off-chain oracle source platform or, or, or project, which you basically have um, voters that vote on the reliability of the data being put onto the blockchain. And so that's now something that's now starting to expand, is how do you take a record of, of Matt's living status and put that onto the blockchain? And there needs to be some some tr- some truth, some oracle of truth, which becomes true, uh, is trusted. But if that trust is ever breached, then that node then loses all its power. So there's a disincentive for that node to report false information. So the provider information on that, on that node.
1: Is that the future of social media? So right now I can post an anti-vaxxer thing or I can post a flat-earth thing and we've got enough people who are willing to share that around because they think it's true because we don't have anyone actually checking is the future having people checking and vetting and i i upvote something on reddit and other people do and because other people do it shows that i'm not an idiot etc probably i yeah
0: i mean i'd say without without a doubt you're going to have um, you know peer validation like group validation of of information which is ultimately probably going to read like political uh it's it's going to be expression of what your political persuasions are you know if, if you if you have a climate change story and you have like with people saying that climate change is not true, you can probably pinpoint them to a particular political persuasion.
1: It's even more dangerous if it's not true. So let's uh, let's just play the devil's advocate argument. First of all, climate change is true, guys. But if it's not, and humans aren't the ones who are causing the problem, then we're certainly more effed than we were before. But
0: what, I mean, speaking as literally someone who spent four years of my life studying climate change, what is the biggest issue is people misunderstanding the problem. So, I mean, global warming is one aspect of climate change. It. It's not. It wasn't once called global warming and then it was called climate change, like Donald Trump said. He said yeah, it was called global warming and that wasn't working, called it climate change. No, that's not true. Global warming is happening. We're observing it. Global warming is one aspect of climate change, which have got many other aspects, such as ocean acidification caused by increasing concentrations of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, such as changing of the surface of the reflectivity of Earth due to deforestation. These are all climate changes, and you cannot deny deny that deforestation is being caused by humans, because we're doing so on a vast scale. You cannot deny that the burning of fossil fuels causes carbon dioxide emissions, because we can measure it, and we are observing for a very high carbon concentrations increasing. Now, how much you can attribute the global warming to carbon dioxide emissions is now something like 98.5% certain to be exactly linked to our, to our emissions. So there is some uncertainty, but there's no uncertainty around other aspects of climate change and switching to a clean energy-based economy um, whereby you don't have air pollution, whereby you don't have people going underground, digging up coal and dying of respiratory diseases and people are more people die close to coal power stations, and oil power stations than li, than than nuclear power stations. You yeah. know, fossil fuels are. And, and that's
1: not even counting cancer.
0: Exa- exactly. So you can't deny that the world would be better off without fossil fuels, irrespective of whether you believe climate change is real or not. In which case, if if you think that climate change isn't real, I suggest check yourself into a university, go and do a degree in the subject and prove it doesn't exist. Because if you can prove climate change is not true, then you have just become the most clever scientist on Earth because no one else can disprove it because that's how science works. It's real science. You have to set out to disprove it. And no one can disprove it and that's it. You can't otherwise if you Google is climate change a hoax, you're you're just you're just gonna find a source of information that, that confirm your bias. Now you have to find, you have to search the alternative, of what your belief is in order to disprove something, because that's, that's how science works.
1: And that is the exact opposite of theology, which is where we run into some problems. I got two last questions for you. First, what's the one thing I should have asked you that I didn't?
0: What's the one thing you didn't ask me? Um, what's the one thing I didn't ask you? You didn't ask me what music I listened to or what the last book I read. What's the last book? The last book I read was "The Future of Humanity" by Miko. Someone, I'm really bad at the authors' names. Kaku. yeah, Miko Taku. Thank you. I've just finished reading that. That's pretty fantastic. What is the future? Um, space.
1: <laughs> space. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I uh. I hope so, and yeah. I hope we also don't forget turning. Be-
0: tur- yeah, turning Earth into a garden. You know, getting off the planet and letting it recover. Um, but then again, I've seen the film Elysium, where people do go to space and just leave Earth an absolute pile of garbage um which people then just struggle for existence on whilst building the robot masters which control themselves, which are owned by the people living in space, which is quite a bleak future, but hopefully don't want don't wanna get there
1: yeah we're we're headed towards Wally, where Bezos is the the big and large company and kind of owns it all and now last last question before you tell people where to find you, and that is. If you had to leave people with one thing, a quote, a call to action, it can be anything. What would it be and why?
0: A call to action, I'd say get out there, um, get up, do stuff, get off social media, um, stop stop with social media addictions. It's very important. I think that, yeah, I mean, I'm speaking personally here. I, I know that social media is can adjust the way your thought patterns work and they are addictive. And I would encourage people to, to, to recognize what power and control that has over the way we think and the way we feel and start speaking to people, go to more community events, get involved in your community and start attending festivals and and meeting people. I like it. Bringing the humanity back to humanity. Exactly. Where can
1: people people find you
0: Abe? Well, online or in the real world? (laughs) Both. Um, online, um, you can tweet me at Cambridge. Um You can email me, abraham.cambridge at thesunexchange.com. Um, or you can find me somewhere around the southern peninsula of Cape Town. <laughs> um, or I attend, um, I'm going to some music events later this year. I'm going to hopefully Modem Festival in, in Croatia. And there's an event in the Atacama Mountains next year for a total solar eclipse uh, which I will hopefully be attending as well. So, if you've never seen a total solar eclipse, wow, you're missing out. That's a cosmic phenomenon.
1: Very cool. All your uh, all your solar panels are going to have some trouble. But
0: uh, they observed that uh, they observed that in Germany, they had a total solar eclipse there last year or a couple of years ago. It was the first time they had a country which was being at the time it was like 50 percent solar powered, and then they all turned off at once because of the solar eclipse. It's the first time that they had ever be able to witness such such a thing. And but because it was all predictable, they could work around it. But it was still interesting to see.
1: Like the Y2K dilemma. Thanks for coming on today, Abe. And thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks for having me. Guys, if you have enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. It's the most important thing that you can do for us. If you think other people would benefit from us and benefit from the awesome stuff that Gabe has shared, that Abe has shared, sorry, on climate change, solar energy, blockchain, Bitcoin, then share it with a friend. Help us make this into something that can make an impact on the world. Thanks. Cheers. Be the change you want to see in the world. That's something I strive towards and fail towards every single day. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you think the world could benefit from conversations like this, the greatest compliment you can give us is referring to the disruptors to a friend or talking about us on social media. Please take 30 seconds to do so. It would mean the world to us, and if we're lucky, help us build towards a better world. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for helping us spread the message, and have a great day.